Okay, welcome. Um, past three of Journey to the Selfless Self. Uh, this class is entitled One Plus One Equals One. Okay, we're going to start putting the things together. This really is the... We're going to go back quickly and, like, uh, what's the word? Just uh, clarify what we've clarified over the past couple of weeks. And we're going to start putting it together now. It should start, things should start coming together. So in class one, we established that we're going to, our definition of good is selfless. And our definition of evil is selfish. Okay. And we're going to work, you could maybe give different definitions um, in different contexts, but this is, this is, this is what I understand to be the best definition. A person who embodies goodness, we call humble. And a person who embodies evil, we call arrogant. So arrogant isn't just like a meter that we're striving for, like kindness or strictness or whatever. Arrogance and humility are the foundation of all the meters. Humility is not a meter. Humility is the foundation of all the meters. And the same with arrogance as well. Um, so if anything, we're trying to cultivate in ourselves humility and in our children and in our everyone we meet, that's 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 what we're going for, humility. Okay. Um then we we established that the words toiv and ra can't they're not applicable to really anything other than a human being. Is this act good or bad? And we said it depends on what's the intention. So you can have you know, like in Savior Yeshua, genocide was good. And then uh, things that could look uh, look good could be could actually be really bad. And um, we then described that the experience of selflessness is an inner stillness, an inner silence, where the other person, so to speak, is given like psychological air, is permitted to be. There's no judgment, there's no analysing, there's obviously no waiting to speak, but there's even no analysing or judging. There's just recept receptivity, is that a word? There's just receptiveness. There's just being receptive. There's just em being empty and allowing them the opportunity to fill your space. Um, and we said that the noise that stops that that selflessness that stillness that inner stillness is thinking thinking is the inner noise that is uh causing us a lot of a lot of biot and we said that thinking is so powerful like we saw with the with the ferrari honda exercise remember that everybody preferred the ferrari to the honda even though it was just the same car because that badge that's what thinking does. And we explained that with, uh, even with anorexia, Lolenu, like uh, those kind of psychological uh, um, disorders where a person's thinking can actually make them experience reality completely different to how it actually is. So a very, very thin person could look in the mirror and think they're the opposite, which doesn't make any sense. But when we understand the power of what thinking does, then we understand that. Okay. So we'll begin here. So this is the question. If we're, this is very interactive. So everyone should be here because we're gonna, we're gonna, I want you to first interact a little bit. So if we do manage to be still, 
yeah, on that one-off occasion where we can actually shut up and actually listen, what are we actually experiencing? What's the them? Like, let's say you can look at a tree. Forget a person, even. Let's say you can look at a tree, and like we spoke about the different levels, and you can just be still. You're not analysing it, you're not comparing it, judging it, trying to label it, trying to fit it into your world. You're just seeing the tree. What are you experiencing? In Kalvahoma, with your child, with your husband, with your friend, with any person, what actually is it that you're experiencing? You hear the question, yeah? You have an answer? Maybe just like togetherness? Or what about them? So let, let, let's, let, let me, I'll tell you a story that my Rebbe told me. We'll try and understand this. This is really the foundation of everything. He, he told me a story of a, of a man who came to him and he told, he told my Rav that, that his wife wanted a divorce. And he said, I don't understand why I love everything about her. She's, and he listed a whole, she's wise and she's, she's kind and she's, she's funny and she's great with the kids and she keeps the house great and all goes on and on and on. Yeah. And he says, I, I love everything about her. I have no idea why she wants to get divorced. And my Rebbe's response to him was what about her? You love everything about her, but what about her? And he it went right over his head. And he was like, what do you mean? I love everything about her. And he said, but what about her? Not everything about her. What about her, herself? And he didn't, he just couldn't hut what the, what the Rav was speaking about. So... That sounds quite nice, yeah? A man loves his wife because she's wise and she's kind and she's funny and all, v'chule, v'chule, yeah? She's a good mother and she's all these things, yeah? That sounds nice. What about if a guy said, I love my wife because she's got very wealthy parents and I'm, and I'm in a good, I'm in good shape. That's keeping me good. That's obviously corrupt, yeah? Very corrupt. But when somebody says, I love her because she's kind and she's intelligent and she's, warm and rechule, yeah that sounds very nice is there really a difference let's be really really uh real is there really a difference between a man loving someone because of a shopping list of these different qualities or because she's got a lot of money or she's very beautiful or she's whatever the things that would, would be distasteful in our society. Is that particularly different? The money thing, everyone's like, well, that's very different. Because she's beautiful, that's not Beseda, but it's not as bad as money. And like, because she's really kind, that's quite nice. She's a very loving person. Well, I guess they're both kind of, you know, both examples of that they're serving him, like things that benefit him. But... I think, you know, when he is saying things that he admires about his wife, it's, it's, you know, he, I think he loves her because she is those, she has those qualities. 
So what's he he's he loves her because she has those qualities. So you you did this is very true. It's very good. You've now divided her into her and her qualities. This is a really important point. This is this is. But aren't they one in the same? Oh, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. That is what this class is basically about. So let me let's ask you a question. You guys say Elenu every every you you say the prayer Elenu. How does Elenu end? What's the last words of Elenu? One minute. It's from Zacharias. It's Nema. Bahaya Hashem lemelech al kol haaretz beyoimahu yiyeh Hashem echad u'shemay echad. That he and his name will be one. How many times do you think you've said that in your life? Tens of thousands. You ever wondered what it means? Between him and his name. Well, there's two of him. There's him and his name. What do we mean when we talk about Hashem's name? Because it's interesting because we have a name as well. And the Chorah right now, Hashem and his name are not one because it will be on that day that Hashem and his name will be one. So right now, Hashem and his name are not one. So this, this is what you just said now. This is qualities and the person. And we do, we must divide them. Now you're going to see they're very much, they're like linked up with each other. Mamash. But if you want to be able to have a relationship with a person, you have to know this idea. This is, I can't think of many more important ideas than this. Okay. And the idea in Chassidus is called shame and etzem or Kabbalah. Shame and etzem, which means name and essence. And they are not the same thing, but they are bound up in one another. We could say that the name is the expression of essence. So we'll say like this, this is going to be a very, as, to write this down will be helpful just like this. Shame, yeah, name, is what you have. And etzem is what you are. Now, I want, to, I want us to go on the chat for like about a minute. We're going to brainstorm with each other, okay? And I'm even going to join in as well. One moment. So everyone pull up your chat and we'll brainstorm together. For about, let's do this for like one minute, okay? I want us to write things that we have, okay? But we can't talk about physical things. Because obviously you could list, you could end up just looking around your room and say, I've got a light and I've got a table and I've got, and that'll go on. You're not allowed to say any physical things, Okay. But we're going to just write now what we have. Okay. Um, one minute. I'm going to put a timer for one minute. Uh, one minute. Timer. Four. Okay. Three, two, one. Let's go. Things that you have. And just start, start writing. And you don't need to look. Just keep writing. Um,
Okay, stop. Everyone sees that everyone. Oh, there. okay. Let's go. Let's read the. Let's read through the list very quickly. Personality, values, ethics, morals, personality, relationships, connection, meaning, patience, spirituality. This moment, right now. Okay. Language, wife, love. I like that. Uh, Hashem Shmira. Okay. Resilience, marriage, humor. Thoughts, feelings, dreams, ideas, aspirations, a giving nature, connection, intelligence, wisdom, manuchas and nefesh, health, courage, desire to grow, religion, Torah, happiness, success, friends, positive attitude, children, love for others. Beautiful. That was really nice, no? Okay. And now let's write... We're not we're gonna need so much time for this, but let's write now. That was what we have, yeah. Now let's write what we are. You are a mother. I am out there. Friend, sister. Not so passionate, is it? It's easier to say what I have than what I am, yeah? So look at look at this. Let's go back to the tefillah, yeah? Everyone says Bruksha Amma at least once in a while. Occasionally. You're familiar with the uh, you're familiar with the with the prayer, yeah? So I'll read it. As Bruksha Ama Vahaya Hoilam Baruch Hu. Buch Oisa Bracious Buch Buch sorry Oh this is a weird this is a weird uh Nusach. Buch Oisa Bracious, Buch Oimeva Oisa, Bukhoisa Vakayim, Buch Mohaimala Oretz, Buch Mohaimala Briois, Buch Mushlaim Sachotoblerev, Buchaila Advokam Lenetzach, Buch Poida Matzel Buch Shmoy. Okay? So it really divides into two, it's two lists. The first one says, Blessed is he. Yeah. And then we go for that whole list of stuff and we say, blessed is his name. That whole list of things, that's his name. When we're talking about him, there really isn't anything to say other than just that he spoke and the world came into being. That isn't even him. That's just something he did. What we're trying to get at is to say that you're a mother is not wrong, but where we're going right now to be really, really, to go really, really deep is you're not really a mother. That's something you do. That's not who you are. I don't want to go there because mother is a different mother is like maybe one of the only things in the in reality that is actually what you are. But let, let's let's let let's go let go of mother because definitely everything else is is uh, is is in the cloud. That that you can't you can't talk about what you are, and you can't talk about what anybody else is. You can talk about qualities they they have forever literally forever 
But the actual person, that's not that's not a thing to be spoken about. That's not ordered and 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 delineated and defined what they really are. That's the one who has all the stuff. So the qualities are things that you have, but you are the one who has. You with me? So what's that you? You don't even want to answer that question, put it that way. Not that you can, but you don't want to answer that question. And you don't even want to answer that question with anybody else in reality as well. Everybody, that's what a person really is, is they are an indefinable, indescribable. And I'm just going to be saying they're not this, they're not that, they're not this, they're not that. That's the mystery of every human being. And the trip is, it's even the mystery of every animal and every vegetable and every stone as well. And it's the same with the Shem. The same with the Shem. So there's a Shem and there's his name. And right now they're not the same thing. So what is the name? The name is the expression of the person. All the things that you have, the qualities that you have, are an expression of you, but they're not you yourself. Let me show you a really good graphic that's going to make this really special for us. Everyone sees that? It's a picture of an eye. You see that? Oh, wait a minute. Let me do one second. Do different, different ones. Okay. Everyone sees the graphic. You ladies ever look deeply into your children's eyes? It's a good thing to do. I do it on Friday night, very deep. I'm, I'm, I can, I know all my children's eyes. M mothers generally know their children's eyes, but to look into your children's eyes is very special. So this is it. If we're talking about shame and essence, about name and essence, about shame and etzem, what what symbolizes the shame and what symbolizes the etzem? What symbolizes the name and what symbolizes the essence? The essence is the center, the pupil. The name is what, what surrounds it. The iris. Everyone's iris is completely different. Different texture, different color, different tone, different pattern, different. Everything's always different. Everyone's pupil is always exactly the same. Just as a real trip is when you look into your children's eyes, you'll see especially if it's kind of dark and the pupil dilates and gets bigger, if you look into the pupil, you'll see the reflection of yourself. That's really the secret of relating. It doesn't mean that you love them as you love yourself, like as you love your name. It means loving that, that part of them and that part, like the part of you, as in the you, which is them. 
There is no division there. That's the black pupil. That's the same for everyone. It always looks the same because it is the same. So, like we said, how do you experience the person? How do we experience the person? Like we said last week. You just turn off your thinking and you just listen. You're silent. Yeah. But you have to be silent in front of their name. The name essence relationship is the exact same relationship as body and soul. It's the same relationship. Masculine, feminine, it's all the same thing. So the name and the essence is the body and soul. Now, when you see a human being, when you see a person, you, well, for example, if you're sitting in front of the president of the United States of America in front of him at his desk, you'd be on your best behavior. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't curl your hair. You were, you were, I don't know what you would, you would be on your best behavior. If he was to start nodding off in front of you, there might there's quite a good chance that would happen. If he started like to nod off in front of you, into that might be much more, and he fell asleep, yeah, and if he actually closed his eyes, there would be a chance that you would like give the scratch that you were wanting to do for the past twenty minutes or something like that, yeah, like go like that to your nose or whatever it is, yeah. You're not. The point is that you're not. You don't have it. I mean, this sounds so like rudimentary to even say it sounds funny, but you don't have any kind of fear, so to speak. It's not like the right word of his body. It is consciousness that makes you feel. But you wouldn't know that his consciousness was there if it wasn't for his body. But if his body falls asleep, his consciousness isn't there. And then you feel much more comfortable until he wakes up again. That's like the name. Without the name, without the name, you can't get to the person. But to mistake the person for the name is tragic. And we, we do that all the time. You're missing the wonder of the person. When you get caught up in their name, you miss the wonder of the person. When you caught, get caught up in the qualities of the person, the qualities of the person are there to take you to the person that is indefinable, indescribable, almost infinite, whatever you want to, however you want to talk about it. But when you get caught up in the qualities of the person, then they become very much finite. Forget the fact that it's probably to do with you as well, but it's just to do the, the actual, it minimizes the person tremendously. So it comes like this, when, when, you're, when you actually touch the person, when you, when you start to experience the person, that relationship is called face-to-face. -face. If you're experiencing their name to the exclusion of the person, meaning all the stuff about them, that relationship is called back-to-back. -back. And there's four, there's four styles of relationship in Kabbalah. There's face-to-face, back-to-back, face-to-back, back-to-face, okay? 
they sounds kind of funny, but they are absolutely mind blowing. We're not going to have time to go into all of them, but they're they're seriously mind blowing. Face to face means it's about you. From my perspective, it's all about you. Our relationship with our children, our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our parents, all of those, our siblings, all of those relationships should be exclusively face-to-face. It's never about what I can get from you, and it's never about things about you. It's always about you. Now, don't get me wrong, life's, you know, complex and there's logistical things we need to deal with, okay? But the, the relationship, not, you know, every now and again, we could go through Takufas where you need stuff, whatever it is. Um, the relationship is about you. Like we said, being a parent is not about being a good parent. It's about the child. That's what I was trying to say about being a mother. It's like one of the, one of the analogies is on Shabbos. Yeah, there's the idea of... Um, I'll say very quickly, yeah. White light is a composition of all colored, all colors of light. Okay, that's why when white, when like sunlight hits water, it, it refracts into all the colors of the rainbow. Okay, all the colors of the rainbow make white light. When you put a colored filter in front of white light, what it does is it blocks, if you put a green filter in front of the white light, it blocks all the other colored light. And it allows just that green element of the light to go through. You don't add a green tint. That's what's called a filter. You don't add something green to the light. You just stop the blue and the red and the orange and the yellow and the indigo and the violet. You block all those other colors and it allows just the green light to go through. You with me? So in the week, let's say I'm a photographer. Yeah, I am. I'm trying to work out that. But I'm a photographer. Yeah, so I put on like this filter. And this is all of you guys as well in the week, whatever you're doing in the week, yeah? You put on a filter where when I'm a photographer, it blocks out all, you know, a lot of other stuff. And the part of me that's the photographer goes through. You with me? If you're a doctor, yeah, you put on the doctor filter and that blocks out all the other stuff and your doctorness comes through. Shabbos... You remove all the filters. Shabbos, you go back to your, the state of rest. That's what state of rest is. State of rest is basically analogous to the white light, which is the place where all of the activity comes from. You with me? Which means the question is, because the way what I always learn this in the Western world is, but I, I play the role of a mother. I play the role of a father. I play the... And on Shabbos, more than any day of the week, you're the mother. Shmamina, that's not a role. You're not playing the role of a mother. It's about the children. It's got nothing to do with you. That's a mother. <laughs> it's not a role that you play. It's just about the child. And I tell you, if it does become a role that you play, which is like for most people, then the child is losing out on a mother. They're getting to see a role. But really, that's what a mother is. It's just about the child. So that's why on Shabbos, 
that's when in Shabbos, we are more mothers than anything, and we're more fathers than anything, because it's not a role that we play. And that was a little bit off topic, but I thought it was quite important, so I said it. Okay, so now the real question comes out is, in this relationship of face-to-face, what, like, what do you do? Wait, just look at them. Just stand in front of them and look. That's a nice thing. That you should, that, that, yeah, also, but there has to, like, what else? When they've become a real person, they're not just a, a cartoon figure, like it happens with a lot of us. They become a real human, a real person. Now what? What could you do? Well, what would that look like? How would you act if that person was just... Mm-hmm. Maybe not. I mean, I think when a person can ultimately do that and be in a really present state of being, you are experiencing Atzalem Kim. Like you're experiencing the essence, the etzem of a human. But yeah, but the, no, that's the question. Now what? You just sit there and look at them for like mm. a day. How do you act with someone when they've become really real? When they're a real person? And I know it sounds like funny to say this, but I think you can appreciate, yeah, that this is quite a high level to get to where the person sitting in front of you is genuinely real. You can be yourself also. Absolutely. You can't not be yourself in that situation. You are, by definition, you're being yourself because you're not playing any kind of role. That's I think, yeah, I think you can also understand, you know, below the surface. Uh, like I was just going through something with my daughter. It's like she's saying something, but like you really know what's really going on. Bidyuk. I think you're basically saying like this, I hope, I think that you can start caring about their needs genuinely. See, when we're talking about what you are, I think someone even mentioned it, but you could say I have a will. And there is, see, there's kind of two levels of will. We'll try and get into this later another in another class. But in truth, you don't really have a will you are a will, if you want to call it a rutson. Rutson is even, the rutson is really a revelation of what we call oineg, pleasure. So just to, this will really trip everyone out, but we talk about like chocolate gives you pleasure, yeah? People eat chocolate because it gives them pleasure. But really the correct way of saying it, OP, how it works, is chocolate touches your pleasure. The essence of who you are, there is a deeper level, but it's not wrong to say this. The essence of who you are is called pleasure. It's not that chocolate gives you pleasure. It's chocolate touches your pleasure. Just like you listen to a certain kind of music that touches your pleasure, but it doesn't touch my pleasure. Or you eat like herring and that touches your pleasure. And like that makes the other guy throw up whatever so we've got different things that touch our pleasure. 
So pleasure is really who we are because that's what's driving everything. We want pleasure. And that doesn't mean grubby physical pleasure. I mean, it could also mean that. But but if you assess it, pleasure is running everything and avoidance of pain. And that becomes manifest in will, in rutsum. So the actual person really, if you do want to call it something, you're probably going to end up calling it rutsum. And that's the union of marriage, the union of the traditional the traditional breakdown of marriage, where I know it's weird a little bit in this generation, it's maybe a little unpolitically correct to say this, but generally the man goes out and earns money and the woman builds the house. That's the breakdown as how it's been for many, many years, yeah? Now listen to the, the, the amazing sacredness of this institution. Is your rutson, your ultimate rutson is the will to live. You know how you know it's your ultimate rot's on? Because there's no reason. What's the answer to the question, why do you want to live? You know what the answer to that question is? I'm not even going to ask you because I don't want to put you in my spot. You know, the, re the answer to the question, why do I want to live, is... There is no reason why you want to live. You want to live because you want to live. That's it. That's that's called a tither, the real truth of a tither, when there is no reason. Because if there's a reason, then that's 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 it. Your desire to live is is like it's like asking the sun, why do you shine? Why are you shining? He'd look at you like, what are you talking about? I'm the sun. That's what I do. It's a reason why I shine. That's who I am. I'm sh I shine. Yeah. That's the union of Rotson. So your desire to live on your human level is, is very, very much who you actually are. Now listen to the godless of marriage. Is the husband provides money. That's like giving you life. You realise that, yeah? And you turn that into food and a house and, and a home. and You're giving him life. So Hashem created this amazing institution where you've got two players who are both equally giving each other life that's why the potential for this relationship called marriage is so absurd the 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 the, the oneness that can be formed because we're in this relationship of giving each other life is everyone with me So that's really the essence of a face-to-face -face relationship where we experience the person and when you really experience the person, then the only thing that comes essential is what they need. How can I provide for you? That's why we have to say that God needs our voider. He actually needs our, he needs our voider. Because if he didn't need it, and it would be like busy work, you know, he's just like, you know, just do this. I've done that. Okay. Um, okay. So now do this. Yeah. That's not how it is. The mitzvahs, we say in, in Hasidus and in Kabbalah, that Hashem's desire for the mitzvahs is analogous to your desire to live. Why do you want to live? I just want to live. 
Why do you want the mitzvahs Hashem? That's just me. That's me. That's an expression of who I am. The mitzvahs are called the Ivin the Malka, the limbs of the king, so to speak. It's an expression of who he is, just like your name is an expression of who you are. It's interesting when we, you notice this is a very important point. When you're sitting with somebody face to face, you don't need to say their name ever. Just say you, 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 you. What's happened to the name? You only need their name when they turn around or when they're in a different room, when they're away from you. But when you're in front of them, it's just you. That's Baruch Ata Hashem. That's why Ata comes before Hashem. That's called face-to-face. -face. You can't say you if you're not in a face-to-face -face relationship. Okay. So to tie it together now, that I think is coming together anyway, is the concept of identification. What does it mean to identify with something? Okay, let's do let's do 40 seconds on the chat and type in where's my chat? Type in things that you have or can identify with. That was a joke, by the way. That's also a joke. Okay, what does it mean to identify? You get the idea, yeah? What does it mean to identify with something? This is so, to, to understand this word clearly is I can't think of, after understanding like etzem and shame and then talking about face to face, in Hebrew, the word for identify is das. What does it mean to identify with something? I would say it's an association. Say again? An association. Go, go on, a bit more. Say more. I don't, I'm not sure what you mean. Like, if you have a, if you associate yourself with something, you can identify with it, whether it's like technical or not. It's just like it's some form of connection. It might be like well, that's more. It may not be, but it's like a level of association is just like saying identified. You're associated. It's like a loose form of identification. What does it mean to identify? You said it. You said like a connection because you can be you can be working for you know like you can work for a company and not be identified with them. You're just working for them. Or like look at what Google do. Yeah, everybody who works for Google, yeah, they're like, that's their, that's who they are. Yeah, Google done a really good job of getting people, their employees to identify with them. You can identify with a football club, yeah? Or like you see these Rishoyim in where I'm living now who've identified with their religion. That maybe it's, it's not your essence, but it's something that relates to you. Let, let me let me ask you a question. 
I'm not going to show you the thing. Anyone, everyone saw that film Braveheart? No? Whatever. There's a film with Mel Gibson. It's a good film. But there's a scene, yeah? He was, uh, William Wallace was like a freedom fighter for Scotland back in like, like the 1200s, 1300s, 40, I don't know, 1300s. And there's a scene in the film where he's on his horse in front of all the Hebra and he holds his sword up in the air. And he says, they may take our lives, but they may not take our freedom. And everyone screams and shouts and claps and yeah. And it sounds cool, yeah? Like it sounds like a good Hollywood line. They may take our lives, but they may not take our freedom. What? You would rather be dead than free? Wait, did I say that right? Rather, you would rather be, you would give up your life. For, why would you give up your life for freedom? Well, they were fighting for the future, maybe. But still, isn't your life worth more than freedom? Wouldn't you rather not be free and alive? I would. I mean, I would. No. What about these guys who came into Eretz Israel a month ago, Yemachshimam, and killed and killed all of our brothers and sisters? They came there, a hundred percent ready to give up their lives for their shtick. Yeah, we see people give up their lives for all kinds of things. See, this is the union of identification. Identification means that your sense of self and X have merged with one another. That's what identification means, is the boundaries between me and that have become blurred. And it could get so intense that in fact, I've completely merged with the concept of freedom to the point where someone puts a gun to my head and says your freedom or your life I'd be like, well, freedom's my life. So take my life. What? Just that's my body. But who I am, I am freedom. Or I am my football club. Or whatever I am. You with me? That's what identification is. And it's incredibly powerful. It's incredible that human beings have got an amazing propensity to identify with all kinds of things. And you can identify with anything, as you as you'll see in some of your friends. You'll see a person can identify with his property portfolio in Manhattan, but a person can also identify with a backache or with uh, with an abusive childhood that he suffered. You can identify with anything. You can identify with your religion, as a lot of people do. What you're really doing, what the person's doing is they're borrowing. What's the word? Matthias, they're borrowing reality, so to speak, from that other thing. And it, it makes them feel more real. But what it really is, is it's the merging of two names. This is the, the, human, the human idea of identification is the merging of your name with another's name. That's the highest level that a human being can attain.
where your name and their name has come so bad. So you know what we we're talking about before about the guy at the beginning who his wife wanted a divorce and he said, I love everything about her. And the Rav said, well, what about her? And he didn't know what he was talking about. You can also, not you can also, most people do relate to themselves in the same way as qualities. Not as an, this is the whole idea of self-esteem. It's not about, oh, you're so good at this and you're so good at that and you've got this and you've got that. That's all. If if a person's sense of worth is derived from anything that you've got, which includes personality and intellect and wisdom and kindness and all that stuff as well, yeah, then you're you're in you're in a dangerous place. The the the, the self esteem, if you want to call it that, is derived from being connected to that essence of who you actually are. That's infinite, indestructible. Nothing can change that. Nothing can dent that. Nothing can take that away. Nothing can go there. Once a person, so when a person's connected to the black part of the eye as opposed to the iris, even though the, the iris is so much more exciting and, and amazing, but when a person's connected to the black part, he or she becomes, so what? I'm not that, and I don't have that, and I'm not this all of it becomes and the funny thing is you become a person that everybody just wants to be with the whole time and derives tremendous energy from as well so it makes the name better as well but that's the side point when we can relate to ourselves as that indestructible thing not that you're good in any way not that you're impressive that's all to do with the name that's all to do with the name because if you're impressive somebody's going to be more impressive than you and if you're not impressive, then that could be your most impressive thing, that you're so unimpressive, that you're special because you're so unimpressive. That's how some people feel. They derive their sense of specialness from the fact they're such a nebuch or they're such a tragic figure. You know, that can all, that's the same. It's the same thing. It's all the same thing. We have to, all of that stuff is just stuff you got. It's like a guy, like you can see a guy, you know, like driving his Ferrari, with you know, and you think, what are you, you know, he's, his whole his whole life is this thing, this this machine that he's got. You know, you just feel like never. That's terrible. That's not so different from taking chizuk uh, from any qualities that we have. So let's finish like this: the story of the story of of Yitzhak and of the Akedis Yitzhak. So, at the time of Akedis Yitzhak, the Avera at the time was killing your children everyone was into child sacrifice okay everyone's sacrificing their children so i always thought originally that it was just like a bunch of like psychopathic you know mesopotamian nutters with machetes and axes and with fire and underpants on their heads and stuff yeah but i i, I listened to this medrash said like this that they they got the whole chevra got together and they were trying to trying to work out what's what's the best what's the most we can give to our god what's the most we can give and they decided that suicide they decided that they would give their lives and that would be the ultimate sacrifice they could make to their god and some guy pipes up and he says no i've got something i could think of something even even harder like what what so we're going to sacrifice our firstborn children the Spitz most special kids 
And everyone's like, wow, no, that's impossible. That's too much. And they, de and they, they decided that that's what they were going to do. And the way the Medrash paints the scene is that in these churches, everyone was crying their eyes out. The kids were crying their eyes out. The priests were crying their eyes out. The parents were crying their eyes out. They were doing the hardest thing they could do for their God. Yeah? Outside the church was Avraham Avinu, yeah, with his stick saying, we don't kill our kids. God doesn't want child sacrifice. With his whole ever, he had an organization basically at that time where he was trying to spread the word that you're not allowed to kill your children. You can't you can't offer your children to God. He doesn't want that. You know what everyone was saying to him? You friar, you reformy, look at what we're doing here. Look out, look at this. We're crying our eyes out. Everyone's pouring their eyes out with tears. It's the hardest thing they could do. And here you are saying, don't do that. So now let me ask you a question. What would happen if the main Galah yeah, came up to Avram and said, Avram, either you kill your son or I'll kill you. He's been, he's, he's been running this organization about not killing your children for the past 40 years. And the guy says to him, either kill your son or I'll kill you. What would he do? It's not even a question. You don't have to answer the question. Hashem turns around to him and says, kill your son. He says, yes, sir. See, now turn around to William Wallace as he's holding his sword and say, he turns around and he says, they can take our lives, but they may not take our freedom. And you turn around to him and say, Bill, what would you give your freedom for? And he'd be like, um, I, I, I don't. That's that's called being Jewish, that you can actually give up your cause. You can ascend your cause. You can go beyond your ideology. You can go beyond what you've identified with. That's Bechol Levavacha, says Rashi, that's give your whole heart to Hashem. Okay, we understand that. Give your body, give die if you need to. And then it goes, all your money. And it goes in order, meaning the mo'udecha is harder than the nafshecha. See, mo'udecha, when it says money, I'm not going to get into all there's not time to explain this now, but it's talking about your identification with X. William Wallace was prepared to give his life for freedom. That was his Bechol Nafshecha. But his Mo'odecha, that was freedom. Bill, what would you give your freedom for? Nothing. The Jew has to give his Mo'odecha. She has to give her Mo'odecha to the Bodhisattva. The only reason you can do that is because you are Jewish, because you have what's called a Neshama. We haven't discussed what that is. But that's basically the Rabboni Shalom himself. That means you can go beyond your shita, beyond your ideology. That's called Lishma. That's called Lishma. Yeah. Going beyond any reason. So, yeah? Yeah, I want to ask, 
um, that wife who was asking for a divorce, she would know all this. She wouldn't. <laughs> Sounds more important that her husband should know all of this. <laughs> yeah, but if she would, she was also not knowing this. If she's feeling hurt, right? We wouldn't feel hurt when we know this. Not not feeling hurt. That wasn't the 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 story. Was uh, let's finish on this. I I'll probably cry when I say this. So excuse me. But when she was feeling alone, but why? Is she? Yeah. Let's say she knows that she is worth no matter what. Okay, so you're we're we're I'm going on a different place over here now. It's we're going to the the idea of a relationship. See, even when a person knows that they're infinite and untouchable. So what, if you want to get really, the whole point of it is that I can share that with somebody. That's what marriage is about. That's why marriage is so fundamental to us. So what happens is when people live in a marriage correctly, how the, how how Hashem designed it to be, is that they merge so deeply with one another that they're not alone anymore. They're not alone. A real thing, it's, yeah. as in, as in, even if I do all this work, it won't help. Let's say it won't work. Let's say someone feels alone and they do all this spiritual spiritual work of knowing that, that you know their name is not their etim. But we're talking right now. I'm just talking about right now. I'm talking about the, the idea of the relationship between a man and wife. That if they are both giving to each other at the level of ruts on at the level of providing life for the other, what will happen eventually is that they will start to experience such a see the names won't become merged. You will still be you and he will still be him. But the essence of who you are become completely entwined, which means you're not alone. That gets rid of that feeling of being alone in the world. And now this is the really amazing thing, that you can be lonely, but not alone. So it can end up that a very elderly couple, when one of them dies, eventually, they feel lonely, but they don't feel alone. They're lonely. They're not lonely when the grandkids come around. That's just, that's a logistical thing, but they're not alone. They're not alone in the world. That's what we're desperate for. And that's really what Hashem is desperate for. That's what we, that's, that's what this whole thing called, called creation is about. Is that, that, that merging with another, because that, like what we were saying there before Mr. Silver, the idea of feeling um, that you're, you're indestructible and infinite and all that kind of stuff, yeah? Which is important to get there. But once you've got there, you'll be like, and now what? The goal is for that infinite, indestructible you to merge with another infinite, indestructible other and to become Basa Erhad. That's the Indian. And that's the Moshe in Gan Eden when it says that Hashem took cover from Adam's side, yeah, 
Why? So they could come back together to be a bus at Erchad. So what's the point? They were already one. Just leave them alone. They were one. You take her out of him so they can become back one. Either leave them as they are because they're already one or make them separate originally and then get them back together. But don't make them together, pull her out and then have them come back together. But that's the sequel, like what we just said before, when you look into the eyes of your children, make sure you do this today. Yeah, Look deeply into the eyes of your children and you'll see your face in the pupil of their eye. That's 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 the whole thing. Is this coming back together with the other? It's coming back together with the other. That's why it's possible, because originally we were with the other. And that's the avoider of marriage, to make it conscious. And that's called, that's called Lishma, this level that we just said about Mo'idecha, where we can serve Hashem at this level where there is no reason and it's got nothing to do with us, really. It's all about him. And that is the foundation of our whole avoidance Hashem. And we're going to get into this now. We're going to, this is just the beginning. We've got another seven classes left as well, Hashem. So we've put the, the groundwork in. We've now got, we've got, we've got the parts of the puzzle to play with. Any questions? Okay, I did a good job or a bad job. Okay, it's like as if I'm going to shake your knees. Thank you.